Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know after a week off. Do you feel refreshed? I do, I do. How do you feel? I mean, I took a couple days off and I feel feel significant improvements. (laughs) And... We are so excited about today's episode. One, because we can catch up on all the royal news that we missed from last week, although we loved the Tom Jennings interview. That was wonderful. But also because we are joined by Prince Harry today. (gasps) April Fools! (laughs) You're acting... Was I not supposed to give that away so quickly? I was acting I thought we surprised. were going to draw it out a little bit. But okay. Sorry, Bird, I ruined April it. Fools. April no, Fools. It was good. It was good. What a good one. I mean, if only Chief Impact Officer. Soon. We have to have him on. We'll Soon. talk about it. All right. A couple of royal reminders as always before we dive in. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a royal rating. You can also send us a reader email at info at gallerypodcasts.com. Roberta, I missed you. I have to say that that was the big gap in my life last week. I'm happy that you were off, but it was like a real hole. Like I, you're a part of my everyday, virtually. I know. I I felt like anytime I saw something royal happen, I wanted to immediately. But I did. I refrained from texting you because I was like, no, she's on vacation. I want to honor that. It felt like an actual break, which was really lovely. And I got my first dose of the vaccine. Oh my Which gosh. Which is so exciting and I feel so lucky and and relieved and everything. So I cannot wait to get the second dose. And you already have. I got the, the first, first dose as well. I get my second dose next week. So I'm feeling optimistic, I got to say. I Pretty am pumped. too. And anecdotally, I feel like if this encourages anyone who's on the fence, I feel like, I mean, I did have a lot of pain in my arm. I the, did too. The arm actually, that I like got the shot in. Yeah, but it was not bad at all. And, and, and I mean, it was bad for a couple hours, but then it subsided. And by the next day, I was fine. Yours was four days though. Wow. It was I, still tender four days later, but I tensed yeah. right when they gave me the shot. And I think that's common of any I vaccine. I did too. <laughs> I did. I like if I got did. the flu shot, it would be painful if I did that. So true. Lessons learned. Guys, we have so much coming up for you on this episode. A big, big guest. It's not Prince Harry, but Pretty close. Andrew Morton is joining us on the show today. He is the author of the new book that just came out this week, Elizabeth and Margaret, Intimate World of the Windsor Sisters, but also Diana, Her True Story. So it's a a real honor to have him on the show. And his book is incredible. I spent the weekend devouring it. And I know Roberta loved it, too. Yes, definitely. We're also talking about the arrival of Lucas Philip Tyndall in the bathroom, (laughs) Harry's new nine to five, which he has a couple, and Kate's Hold Still book, which I think we predicted way back when. We did. We called it. We called it. I did text you a coffee table book. (laughs) It would be a coffee table. I know. I haven't pre-ordered mine yet. Have you? I looked into it. Um, it is a pretty pricey shipping because you have to order it from the National <gasps> Portrait Gallery. So, oh, yeah, it's like 15. Shipping always I think gets it's us. like 15 pounds or something like that. So, oh, man. something okay, to contemplate. Well, 
I'll put it on my list, my uh, wish list. Uh, before we get into all that. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. We are sipping. Cheers. Cheers. Alcohol this week. <laughs> Rosé for spring. We promised. Uh, I feel like this is finally one of the more beautiful weekends, and it's Easter. Yes. But I also wanted to ask you before we get into all this, so last week, because I was off, I had a lot of time to watch some shows. Okay. Have you watched anything good recently? Ooh. I mean, I finished Ginny and Georgia. Did I talk about that already? That was my latest. I think you said that the last episode was very... um, I was frustrated by the finale. It it left a lot of questions unanswered, like many things in life. Um, (laughs) But I'm I'm back on succession. That's what I've been doing lately, and then some movies. (gasps) So, So, yeah, I'm trying to mix in the movies. What are you watching? So I watched three different miniseries based on Agatha Christie's works. So they were all on Amazon Prime. They all came out around the same time, and they all feature... Really, like, recognizable, like, actors and actresses from Poldark, Outlander, Downton Abbey, The Crown. These, you know, these, like, British actors and actresses that you, like, really just, like, recognize when you see them? Like, it was a bunch of those. So it was three different miniseries. One was the ABC Murders, Ordeal by Innocence, and then um, and then there were none. And they were so good. And oh. it was three miniseries, three episodes each, so nine episodes that were, like, movie length, each one. And it was incredible so what a way to spend the week i feel like that sounds incredible i need to add those to my list off the heels of that mentioning the crown though there's casting news so dominic west was confirmed yeah how are you feeling about that so all i can think about when i think about dominic west is um lily james i know it's hard to not think about that and also the affair like i think about that so it kind of is like he's not typecast, but he was he did play that role in the affair and now he's playing Prince Charles. Um and it was interestingly True. confirmed by Josh O'Connor. It's it seems accidental, but does that really happen where he he mentioned it on a podcast? I think it was like oh, GQ hype. He was the one that mentioned that he would be passing it on to Dominic West. So accidentally. Oh, man. I will really miss Josh O'Connor Me too. and Emma Corrin, though. Me I too. just feel like those are such big shoes to fill. But also we got news too that Spencer, the movie. Yes. They have Jack Farthing as Prince yep. Charles. Mm-hmm. And he's from Poldark, I believe. Um, so that's exciting. I looked him up. I feel like he kind of – you. I get the sense that they could really do a lot. Like He would well, look, look very similar. look at the similar. Kristen Stewart photos. I mean, oh she gosh, looks like Diana. It's unbelievable. I'm also yeah. pretty excited about uh, Spencer because it. we don't know which part she's playing, but Sally Hawkins. Do you know that actor? She's one of my favorites oh. from this movie, Happy Go Lucky. She's been cast in a movie. So I'm curious what her role has been. I checked IMDb and it's not announced who she'll be playing in the family, but lots of lots to look forward to this year. She's the one from The Shape of Water, right? Yep, she's from The Shape of Water. She's a good one. She's so talented. So exciting. All right, well, moving on, we have a lovely reader letter from Martha. So we just shortened this for time's sake. We're trying to get through a lot before the Andrew Morton interview. Um, so... Martha wrote us and she said, I am a writer and a female Anglican priest. Because of my life in the church, I consider myself to be no more than three degrees of separation from all of the royal family. Smiley face. People with whom I have worked closely have also worked closely with the roster of clergy who presided at various weddings, baptisms, memorials, and remembrances, including Archbishop Michael Curry, the preacher at Meghan and Harry's wedding. Martha then goes on to say, I appreciate very much your coverage of the Oprah interview with Meghan and Harry. It is dangerous for us to get too caught up in deciphering whether or not a racist comment was made by a future king when what this couple actually has to say is what we all need to hear. 
It's not enough to merely put a black princess on the balcony. She needed the royal family to be her allies. Meghan and Harry's story reveals just how far we still have to go together in dismantling systemic racism. Once again, thank you for your work on Royally Obsessed, Martha. I feel like this means if this is an Anglican priest that we have holy blessings for Royally Obsessed. I think you're right. Yeah. I also just really like her perspective. I feel I like her medium piece, everyone should go and check out. I wonder if there's a way we can. Yeah, we can share that yeah. um, in the episode description. In the episode description. Just because I think that it really makes a, a very, very compelling point that representation doesn't stop racism and just sort of what that means and that the royal family really is so focused on changing the narrative or, or controlling the narrative. And they by putting all of their stock in that, they're kind of losing the opportunity to be reflective about, about real systemic change. Mm-hmm. And I just love what she said. Like, you can't merely put a black princess on the balcony and call that change. You can't. Right. Exactly. And us reading into, like, the who said what and when, it's it's almost a little bit takes away from the whole entire message of what they were trying to say. So, Yeah. I totally agree. Our listeners, you guys are the best. So the thank best. you for writing in. Cream uh, of the crop. We wanted to get into, of course, royal history. And now, this week in royal history. This week, we were focusing on the Phillips side of the family, the kids of Princess Anne. So Isla Elizabeth is the daughter of Peter Phillips and his ex-wife, Autumn, and the granddaughter of Princess Anne. And she turned nine years old this week. Her date of birth is March 29th. 2012. But it's the perfect segue to talk about a new addition to the Phillips family, which came, we we heard about from Mike Tyndall in the funniest, most interesting way on his podcast. So but, casual. I, I love this. But Lucas Philip Tyndall arrived on March 21st, a bit quicker than expected. So here is Mike sharing that arrival on his podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Rugby. So yeah, it was running to the gym, get a mat, get into the bathroom, get the mat on the floor, towels down. Brace, brace, brace. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and a sort of a life... Fortunately, the, 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 uh, the midwife who was going to meet us at the hospital, it wasn't that far away, so she drove up and got there just as we'd assumed the position. And then the second midwife arrived just after the head, the head had arrived. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a bit garnish, but... Um, Holy Moses. Roberta, I just, when I heard this, I was laughing so hard. Did you watch the, even, because there's video with it. I watched it. Yeah, it was incredible. I felt like that they were like all really, they were very bro-y, but they were also they were very so supportive. Bro-y, but they, they were, were so, yeah. it was like very sweet. Like they all seemed like genuinely so happy and like have asking follow questions. And they were also like, what what a woman goes through, you know? Like I thought that was really I loved sweet. it. I loved everything about it. I also love the fact that, so Mike definitely mentions that he says this happened at six o'clock last night. So I love that he didn't even cancel his recording. Oh, <laughs> like, the pod must that, go on. We pod, know that. Yeah, of course. I would never. No, I'm just, it made me <laughs> laugh so hard. We, it was very endearing to see his raw enthusiasm, to be honest. You know, he just kind of clearly, because it was the next day, this was all very recent. And I love that he talked about when they joked with him about, so the fourth comes next. He was like, no, I was on the phone. Snip, snip, snip. Oh <laughs> it's very gosh. candid. Very and candid. Also, the fact that he took Lucas uh, straight to the TV room to do skin to skin and watch golf and rugby. So I thought that was great. Uh, that was so sweet. It's like he's so excited to have a son. So mm-hmm. and and this is it. This is those three. And I also love that he called out the midwife who he's like, Dolly has been with us for every birth and she's incredible. And he was like giving credit where credit is due. And I thought that was really sweet. He said that she's more important than me. <laughs> 
thought that was great. But interesting, I did really love that the name did nod to not only Zara's grandfather, Prince Philip, but also her father-in-law, Mike's dad, is also named Philip. I think that it was, it's fascinating that she did give birth in the bathroom. We know that when, you know, I think after the first kid, it comes a lot faster. So she didn't make it to the hospital. But it does kind of harken back, you know, the historical aspect of that is that, you know, royal births up until Princess Anne were at home. You know, Princess mm. Anne was the first to give birth at the Lindo Wing. So, you know, sort of a throwback to that time. Unintentional throwback. I love it. It also made me think, like, this level of candidness I almost think Mike is, he's wonderful. And I've just grown to love him so much over the last couple months because of how much he shares. But it's also like, to me, and I don't want to relate everything to other royals, but with Meghan and Harry kind of doing the Oprah interview, is there now this precedent or this desire to kind of be more open and public about these sorts of things? And and, um, it is super humanizing. Kate and William get a podcast. (laughs) Gosh. And Mike is the. I mean, everyone Mike has a podcast. I feel like Mike should on. be the host, and they'll be the guest. Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> so um, charismatic. Yeah. All right. For our first story of the week, Prince Harry has two new job titles. We'll two. start off. Two. I know. I know. What a crazy week for him. Uh, first up is Chief Impact Officer at Better Up or Chimpo, which I've never heard that, but Chimpo is, I guess, an abbreviation for Chief Impact Officer. <laughs> I did not know that. Did you see my face? I was like, wait, what? Yeah, the British press calls it Chimpo, which I was like, what? Um, But supposedly Harry began in January, and BetterUp is a mental health coaching startup based in Silicon Valley. Their clients include huge names, Warner Media, Airbnb, Google, Lyft. It was actually funny to read stories about because at the end, it was like every paper was like, disclaimer, we we are a client of BetterUp. I was like, wow. Yeah, it's it's actually – they have – yeah, so many, so many big, huge companies. So uh, Harry met the CEO, Alexi, through a mutual friend late last year, and he wrote a blog post. Maybe he was getting tips from Megan from the TIG. He wrote his own blog post on BetterUp. Harry said in the post, I've personally found working with a BetterUp coach to be invaluable. I was matched with a truly awesome coach who has given me sound advice and a fresh perspective. So I love that he's kind of tested out the product himself before. Me too. I think that's great. The board, um, the website describes him as a humanitarian, a military veteran, a mental wellness advocate, and an environmentalist. And very similar to Megan's short little New York Times bio when she did the opinion piece in November, hers was mother feminist activist. So I'm kind of digging this like three word bio. Like I think that instead of the elevator pitch, like I feel like I like this pivot of what you would know, yours be? Oh Podcast host, writer. No. I think I'd be like editor. I'd probably do like mother, writer, row, row. Can I say row, row? Wait, what would mine be? Yeah, what is yours? Lefty. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, still thinking about it. Okay. I'll, I'll, TBD. I'll Next week, I yeah. want the full answer. <laughs> I can't do it on the spot. Um, interestingly, though, it's, it's, Obviously not pro bono. He's going to be making money because he's on the board or he's an officer of the company. So he's being paid an undisclosed amount or some sources have said he has equity stake and the company is worth almost $2 billion. So who knows how much that could be. Um, 
just some interesting things to point out. I when I saw this chief impact officer, I kind of laughed and was like, is this a joke? Because we've seen a lot of headlines about Elon Musk and the techno king. That's his official title at Tesla. And then his CFO is master of coin, which is a Game of Thrones thing, mm-hmm. I think. So it's like, mm-hmm. is this it's like kind of silly and like very Silicon Valley, like very Silicon this is Valley, like yeah. A fake. And you and I, like, as in, being in online media, we get a lot of pitches from companies. And this is, this is, you know, not on par with what Harry's doing, but it's like, it'll be like Kraft Cheese is looking for the next chief cheese officer. And you know what I mean? So, like, I was just like, this is a joke, right? But it's real. Um, the company to me feels very brave new world in that they're like, monetizing mental health so they're uh they market themselves toward enterprises so they're very expensive it's like four hundred dollars a month to get this platform and what the platform basically does is shows your boss like here's your team and similar to like we use like Basecamp or monday or slack or all these platforms Similar to that, you kind of see the whole team you see it's like a project management tool but then it's like your team this week is feeling really burnt out Here's what you can do to kind of alleviate that stress or assign projects that kind of are easier to to handle when you feel burnt out or something like that. And it's like, this feels a little icky to me. I don't know. What did you think? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it would be pretty awesome if that became as commonplace in the workplace as Slack, because I think it's I think I'd be curious how individualized it is. Like if you're called out, like is it attached to a person or is it just a trend? Like I think I, I'd definitely love to sample it. <laughs> Clearly, I think yeah. that it sounds like it has a lot of potential because we do need to have more of a priority and attention on that. But then doesn't it feel like at the end of the day, the goal is like to increase productivity? That's where I get the Brave mm. New World vibes where I'm like, we are just cogs in the machine. Am I getting to No, I think it's all how the company utilizes the data is what it all comes down to. Because I think if they really are caring about it, then that's valuable. But if they are just, if their eyes are on a different prize. On the bottom line, yeah. Yeah. And that's what Prince Harry will probably do. He seems heavily involved in strategy and charitable donations to the company, um, in product improvement. So it's interesting to see where this all goes. He's, even um, said that the Archwell team, their staff, all has access to the to the platform, so they use it as well. Will he go into the office at some point after the pandemic and coronavirus is over? I mean, he says that he will. So I'm just hoping he is using Slack and people can Slack him directly. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> and he does attend all hands meetings already. Is what the Wall Street Journal, who first reported this, said. So they got the scoop, and he's not going to manage anyone. He will not be anyone's manager, but he will attend these meetings. Um, the office is like an open floor plan, exactly what you'd picture for like a VC. Um, they have a, a boxing bag or kickboxing bag. I don't know what you call that in their office, and like a floor mat and all these resistance bands, like a gym area. So that was really cool. James Corden 2.0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stops by to do a little training. Yeah. Right, right. I love it. And he, But he has another gig, too. He has another gig. So that one is the Aspen Institute, and that one's definitely unpaid. He joins the think tank as one of 18 commissioners for a six-month program called Information Disorder. Uh, this particular initiative was founded by the Craigslist founder, which is kind of interesting. Other commissioners include Katie Couric and Rupert Murdoch's daughter-in-law, Catherine, that part's interesting, yeah. It is, but also I did a little digging, and it's she's a good Murdoch. I don't know okay, if that's the right thing to say. I feel like watching Succession, you might I don't know, yeah, understand. Um, she 
James and Catherine Murdoch are actually big donors to um, climate change and more liberal causes, and they subverted the expectations of their conservative family dynasty, supposedly. So, yeah, Harry will and with along with Katie Kirk and Catherine Murdoch and the rest of the commissioners investigate the media industry's truth decay that has become a major threat to democracy. With this position, it says, with commentary increasingly replacing reporting, polarization has deepened, and, has deepened and trust in the media has declined. It's critically important that we figure out how our industry can be part of the solution. That was Katie Couric. I could, couldn't stop thinking about Aspen Institute and the David Brooks New York Times controversy. Have you re- heard anything mm-hmm. about that? No. Oh, it was just a columnist was being paid without disclosing that and was writing about it for the New York Times, which is kind of shady. So I was like, oh, this was like yeah. – I don't know. It's interesting. It's, Harry is the most, you know, one of the most searched figures in internet search. I mean, like he's he is, you know, one of the most talked about people in the world. So I think he could bring a valuable perspective to this. But between the, you know, with these two jobs, I thought Lainey Gossip's perspective was really interesting. She said between the two of them, meaning Megan and Harry, if there's one person who's looking for that, how do you like me now moment than the other, it's Harry. Mm-hmm. So and then on the <laughs> other hand, Sanjita Singh Kurtz for The Cut said, he's gone and collected two of the most vague and fancy-sounding corporate titles out there. Now all he needs is something with the word strategy in it to complete the professional festoonery. So my perspective on it, real quick, because I know we have to like keep things moving, is just that ever since I read his Fast Company essay, I was like, I am all in on Harry's stock. I think that he has so much potential. Chief Impact Officer, I really do think he has a lot to say, and it's beyond that sort of just a fancy title and a paycheck. Like, I'm I'm really excited to see how what plays out. But my first impression, though, is just that, like, the better up mental health stuff, like, I just keep thinking back to that moment in the Oprah interview mm-hmm. with Megan and what was done for her. Harry was right there. I feel like Oprah kind of even touched on this. Like, Harry was there. What did he say to her? Why didn't he tell her to go get help mm-hmm. and, and yet he's taking this job so I, I don't know I kind of like and I also feel like the titles are such like word soup you know like it's just kind of like whatever title it's they want to put out there but I'm I'm hopeful we'll yeah see I'm, I'm all super hopeful I think this sounds very promising well moving on just quick update on William and Kate we were off last week but we did get a chance to see them returning to the site of their actual wedding which is coming up I can't believe 10 year anniversary is this month. Anyways, we were gifted with pics of the pair walking side by side, Kate in a stunning white Catherine Walker coat, very emblematic of her wedding day in a lot of ways, wearing white down the aisle again, um, on the National Day of Reflection, which marked the one-year anniversary for the first lockdown in the UK. I thought this was interesting only because I've been to Westminster Abbey that and I could visualize it that they're using the poet's corner of the church as a vaccination site, and that's what brought Kate and William there, and they're actually administering 2,000 shots of the vaccine vaccine a week. That's incredible. Yeah. We also learned from William on this occasion that we got the reveal that him and Kate have not been vaccinated yet. And he said, this is his quote, I'm a while away yet until I get mine, but you're getting there pretty fast and it won't be long. So I think that we really might have some potential to see them get vaccinated publicly. They're definitely being open about it. I hope so. I really hope so. And I think it's so weird to me, though, that that your wedding venue is now a vaccination clinic. It's like, and it's also like such a fancy place to get the vaccine. I would love to get vaccine, 
vaccinated. It's kind of fascinating when you think about that, like sort of, I always feel like that living in New York, like sometimes you go, like there's a Trader Joe's in a super historic bank, right? (gasps) In Brooklyn. And I think that that's kind of the magnitude. You feel that. And it must be incredibly, I wonder if people are able to Instagram. A lot of churches don't even allow photos. But um, one thing that I did notice, aside from her wearing white, and I don't know if you spotted this, Roberta, because you have such an eagle eye, but her Kate's medical mask hack So she takes the mask, and I struggle with this where it's too big for me, the medical mask, and it doesn't quite close all the gaps. And so it's she twists it like in a sort of figure eight around her ears, and that really tightens it up. So I feel like that was just a genius move. I've been doing it ever since. I I thought that was pretty cool. So smart. So, so smart. I love that. Yeah, it's a really good shot of it, too, that you Yeah, but it definitely made me think, like, I'm so curious how they're going to honor 10 years of marriage, you know? Like, that's coming up, and it's quite an occasion to celebrate, but I don't know if we'll see sort of an outpouring on social in the same way they don't typically do that for anniversaries but I like that they the, they used like the parallels of the wedding to really draw a lot of attention to this because I think that that's so important to draw attention to the vaccines right now and especially for younger people and then to have them like they know the press will pick up the story that she's wearing white in Westminster Abbey where they got married and it's a 10 year anniversary here and she copied the hairstyle that she had for the wedding like I just think all those things it's like she knows that the papers will pick that up and it's so important because then all eyeballs are on the cause and I think that they they do that like the most fabulous job of that. So yeah. It's, it's really also incredible. the first time they've been back to Westminster Abbey since Commonwealth Day where they were there mm. with Harry and Meghan and that sort of chilly exchange took played out. So fascinating. But let's yeah. move on. Coming up next, we talk with Andrew Morton. Here's that conversation. Row Rose, we're thrilled to welcome Andrew Morton to the podcast. He's the best-selling author behind Diana, Her True Story, the explosive biography based on a series of audio recordings with the Princess of Wales. For his latest project, he took a few steps back in time. The biography is called Elizabeth and Margaret, The Intimate World of the Windsor Sisters, and it's out now. We had such a fun time reading it. Rachel and I devoured the book. It comes out today, correct? That's right. In fact, I've, I've just been thrilled to see the fact that the book jacket cover was on the electronic billboards on Times Square. So that's a first for me. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Welcome, Andrew. I'm holding up the book now. And we've been both trying to read it quickly, but also savor it. It's it's a beautiful book. It's such a wonderful uh, kind of look back in time, but just feels so current too. That's a, a really good point because... Elizabeth and Margaret. Oh, do you mean William and Harry? It's, <laughs> it's, it's there's a kind of a biblical resonance um, in a Cain and Abel and and so on that runs through the book. And that that you know, in fifty years' time, when I've gone to that court in the sky, there'll be the similar kind of thing going on in the royal family in in the future, because that's just the way it is. Yeah, playing out over and over again in history. Well, first things first, before we get into all of that, we wanted to ask, where are you chatting us from and how are you holding up during the pandemic and everything? Well, I live both in London and also in Pasadena in California. And I'm currently in Pasadena where it's blue skies, the palm trees are waving, and um, <laughs> and I've uh, had my vaccines for, for COVID. So yeah. Congrats. That's amazing. <laughs> I have been sensibly masking and washing hands and keeping space for the last year or so. And I think we'll be doing that for the rest of our lives. Hand sanitizer in our pocket. Yeah. yeah. Feels like we're close, though. There's light at the end of the tunnel and it's getting a lot closer. So, um, all right. Well, we wanted to kick it off by asking you just first the explosive Oprah interview. Did you watch? What were your thoughts? 
Yes, I did watch it. And I, I found it obviously compelling television, very brave, uh, courageous admission of mental failings by uh, Megan. But I came to the conclusion that an awful lot of it is what I would call a missed reading. That, that is to say, you're trying to understand what they're what point they're trying to make because it doesn't make sense. So I found a lot of it quite baffling. Harry doesn't make sense? Who, who you mean? Well, not, Harry not, neither of them made sense because um, things like saying that she was almost like held prisoner at Kensington Palace, my, my passport, my keys were taken from me. Well, she, she didn't have any keys. She didn't have a car. She didn't have a place to live. So it was, uh, there's all kinds of discrepancies in the interview, which, kind of undercut the the veracity of much of what else was said and of, and of course by touching the third rail of uh, american and british politics that is to say race uh, the interview was quite incendiary as well yeah it's definitely i think it was very hard to figure out where we go from here i felt like they did kind of you know, shed light on sort of the seclusion that happens. It felt like they were kept at home, but but it's interesting to hear your take on that. Did you feel like it was at all deja vu, Diana? Or well, I, I, it was and it wasn't. I mean, when I was watching the interview, I was ticking off, yes, sense of isolation, yes, sense of desperation, exactly what Diana was saying to me. But then again, I was thinking, well, friends of mine have seen uh, Megan walking from Whole Foods supermarket on Kensington High Street with bags of food back to Kensington Palace. Didn't seem too much like a, a prison. Um, uh, other friends have seen her out and about with friends at restaurants and phones, so you'll never guess who I'm sat next to. So there's that sense that she she seems to me to have led a normal life, but the way she put it, it, it was almost as though her passport was taken from her, her keys were taken from her. And yet she was able to go to New York on a private jet to celebrate a baby shower and make what some eight overseas trips uh, without wearing uh, handcuffs. So, so, so there's a, just a, just there seemed an inconsistency, but also a similarity with Diana as well. So it was a complex interview. And it, but it was, and it left unresolved many questions. Yeah, so many questions that I feel like we still want to know the answer to. Um, well, you've written about Megan in your book, Megan, a Hollywood Princess, which came out back in 2018. Is that right? Yeah, it came out uh, to coincide with the wedding. And I enjoyed doing that because, I mean, the funny thing is, Pasadena is like Meghan Markle Central. And I would come out of my house, <laughs> people would say, have you been to see Edmund Fry? He runs a, a cafe, and that's where Megan came to learn to, to drink tea. And on the same street, Pasadena Avenue, that's where her, one of her first boyfriends lived, um, and a couple of miles away in La Cañada, that's where she was the homecoming queen. Where oh, wow. She so, I mean, literally. <laughs> You're really in her territory uh, was, over like, there. <laughs> talk about a hometown girl. I mean, it, it, it really was a question of being in the right place at the right time. The photographer lived quite, you know, the school photographer lived nearby. Um, friends of ours, um, their kids went to the same school. Um, they knew the family. <laughs> it was just, it was like, there's <laughs> a plate. It's full of, of, of Meghan Markle material. So <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed doing that work because it, and also knowing the, the royal ropes, it, it, it helped greatly. 
How close is Pasadena to Montecito, actually? About an hour and a half. Hour and a half, okay. And um, and I fully expect, and you can you can replay this prediction in a few years' time, <laughs> that the kids will be surfer dudes because there's, <laughs> because there's a surfer beach probably a mile and a half walking distance from their house. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, so given your experience covering, you know, Diana, but also Meghan Markle in that book, with everything that's played out since Meghan and Harry's wedding, was this a trajectory that you foresaw them exiting the monarchy? Was this ever in your realm of thinking that they would leave? No, I knew that. I mean, I thought that they, uh, the Meghan Markle paradox was this, that she had built up a, a podcast, uh, uh, the, the TIG. She had built up a, a, a following uh she had she was uh, a patron of a of a charity uh she was building her own career she was on a speaker circuit at twenty thousand dollars a pop she was doing pretty well she was an activist she'd always been an activist and really it was a question of how she would integrate her own quite outspoken views with a, an institution which is by and large neutral uh, and when i say neutral that applies to the Queen, but it doesn't apply to all of them. And both William, Harry and Prince Charles especially have been quite outspoken about the environment. So has Prince Philip, by the way, about the environment, about green issues, about architecture, about organic farming. So I was in, intrigued to know how Meghan would integrate into that institution, because after all, she's from a society where you don't curtsy to people, where you don't worry about who goes through the door first, who sits down first, what's the order of precedence, what uniforms you're going to wear. And that can be quite overwhelming. As I've said before, it's like a South Sea Islands tribe with its very bizarre rituals. For example, in Balmoral, there's a chair in the, in the sitting room or, uh, where they all gather uh, for drinks before dinner. And if you sit on it, a member of the royal family, don't sit on that. That was Queen Victoria's chair. And I think that that's a private joke between themselves because every I've met various people at various times who've been there and that's been said to them. They kind of jump out of the chair. Like a practical joke almost? Like a little practical joke for them. So they all just smile and think, we've got another one, you know. Horrible. <laughs> I think that was in The Crown, wasn't it? They did that to uh, Margaret Thatcher. She was, I think, yes, that's right. Margaret, yeah, exactly. Helen, that's Bonham, that's Helena I'm Bonham Carter. Yeah. She's like, don't sit there. And it's like, so. Well, that is a true, yeah. that's a true story. And I mean, it always makes me laugh with the, with the, with the Crown when people say, oh, this is all wrong. That's all wrong. And and, <laughs> and they would never say that about, about don't sit there. And of course it is true. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think that's, the situation that she found herself in. But I always thought that given a degree of latitude, and they were given a degree of latitude because they were told, here's your first-class tickets, pick a country you want to go to, we're going to make you youth ambassadors for the Commonwealth. Do you want to go to the Caribbean? Be our guest. Go to Australia or New Zealand? Just make yourself comfortable. So they, in fairness to the royal family, in fairness to the Queen, she did give them that opportunity to go wherever they, they pleased around the world. And also, they did say to Meghan, if you don't want to embrace royal duties full time, please be our guest and continue your, your acting career. 
So all these those opportunities were open to her. And I think that neither, I mean, if you want my view about what happened, that neither of them gave it the thought that they should have done. Uh, Harry and Meghan? Harry and, oh, okay, okay, okay. And I think that they, and, that, and I think that that famous warning from Prince William about, you know, steady on, think about what you're doing, that Harry bridled at was probably meant more with affection than anything else because I think William understood more than Harry that becoming a member of the royal family is a tough gig. And you think about Catherine Middleton. She has a, well, she's British. She's grown up with the traditions. Obviously, she was a commoner, but she has a very sound and strong family. Now, Meghan didn't have any of that. She's American. She didn't have a clue. She didn't know about the you know, singing the national anthem. Didn't have a clue about what you, you know, about the royal family, the history of it. And, you know, in a way, Harry should have been a little bit more uh, careful with that and spent more time with their engagement and, and their courtship. To ease her in. Yeah. And train her. It just genuinely takes a long time. During yeah. the interview, she said, well, nobody's told me about the national anthem. Well, quite frankly, they don't tell you. It's not It's not like there's a school for princesses where you sit there and they, you go through the, the procedures from A to Z. You learn it at the knee. You learn it through experience. And it takes a long time. Even Catherine Middleton, the, the point I'd make about her is that she, yes, she had the support of her family. Yes, she was British. She knew what was what was expected. But nobody can prepare you for the level of intensity and the level of interest in you. And you've got to be quite strong, both inside and outside, to survive. And it takes a long time. And I, th- I think that with Catherine, it's taken her a long time to be, as it were, a woman in full, to, to be the, the mature, thoughtful, uh, a woman that she is today who seems to be in control and in command of what she's doing. And and you know, even with Diana, it took her years and she was a, an aristocrat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like William and Kate had a longer dating period of 10 years that really helped. Absolutely. Yeah. They had never lived in the UK too before that. So yeah. it just it would be such a culture shock in that way as well to move yeah. to your home. She said, oh, I'm going to hit the ground running. Well, I mean, I think she was running too fast and she fell flat on her face. I mean, I, mean, I was a great supporter of Meghan. You know, I've argued that the, the kind of attacks on her mirrored the attacks on Diana in her early days. I mean, for example, she was accused, Meghan was accused of you know, sacking staff and you know, it was generally disruptive. Well, you know, it's the same playbook with Diana. Diana was accused of sacking you know, Charles's valet, his private secretary, his bodyguard. Well, they all went. They had nothing to do with Diana. It was just the fact that they all decided that, you know, they'd live with the Bachelor Prince. They didn't want to be part of the, the new family. Mm-hmm. Let somebody else have a go. And But she was blamed for it. She was called a fiend and a monster. Gina Brown called her the mouse that roared. So and at, at that time, as she told me, she was in what we might call the dark ages of her life. She was feeling suicidal. She was very depressed. She was suffering from eating disorders, bulimia nervosa. And so it does strike me that there are, there are these extraordinary parallels between Meghan and Diana. And if I can notice them, so can people inside the palace. 
Yeah. Well, we definitely want to move on to talk about more about Elizabeth and Margaret as well and get into your book. I mean, so your latest book tackles a very different but equally complex royal dynamic, the relationship between Queen Elizabeth II and Princess Margaret. So we got into this a little bit at the outset, but why is this decades-old story just as relevant today? And why will it continue to be a dynamic that plays out, it seems like, after reading your book? Well, because it's almost biblical or Shakespearean or whatever cliche you want to reach out, um, that here we we have uh, the number one, the, the Queen, Princess Elizabeth, uh, facing number two, and, and there'll never be any change in that. And and it's the one has a, a, a path mapped out for them, the other one has to make their own path, and it's a difficult path, as, as we've just been talking about. And that's also reflected in William and Harry. And as I start the book off by saying that there's, there's a kind of a yin and a, a yang that... Um, one prince is cautious, sensible, um, down to earth. Another is reckless, foolhardy, uh, but charismatic. Well, who are we thinking of there? One sister is mischievous, glamorous, funny. The other one is sensible, Miss Goody's two shoes. Well, who are we thinking of there? And it's this kind of great wheel of, of life that things do repeat themselves. And it's one of the, the, the inspirations for the book that I saw the way that the, the brothers, uh, Bertie and David, the sons of George V, the way that they interacted, and also and, and started to think about the way that Elizabeth and Margaret interacted. Because in history, yes, we've had lots of queens, but we've never had a queen and her sister living together, being brought up together, um, it's, the previous queens and sisters have been very, very distant and almost an enmity from, from the word go. So this is a unique double act, and it's one which I enjoyed exploring. And Absolutely. We loved uh, some of the parallels that you kind of paint for us in the book about Princess Margaret and um, her relationship with Peter Townsend and how the royal family, you know, told them or tried to kind of kick the can down the road, as you say, and uh, delay their romance, just kind of like how you mentioned with Prince William and Prince Harry and um, William cautioning Harry. So are there other similarities specifically that kind of um, draw that comparison even more with the Sussexes and Princess Margaret, I guess? Well, I, th- I think that the, the parallels are very much about marriage, that ironically, the Queen, when she was first on the throne, she had a very difficult decision to make. And it's because her sister fell in love with a divorcee. And that created a the, this this huge scandal which rocked the nation. Now, fast forward to almost the next century, well, to the next century with Meghan and Harry, we've got a divorcee who walks down the aisle at St. George's cha- uh, Chapel and everybody is thrilled. And I wondered whether the Duchess of Windsor, um, the wife of the Duke of Windsor was spinning in her grave nearby at Frogmore because she had been prevented from uh, living with Edward VIII and he had to abdicate in order to marry this twice divorced woman. And divorce, it strikes me, divorce has been the abiding theme which defines this reign. That from the start, as we've just mentioned, Margaret had to forego. Um, marrying uh, instantly 
um, group captain Peter Townsend because he was a, a divorcee, and then down the generations to Prince Harry. And what is he doing? He's, he's embraced for bringing in a biracial American actress who is a divorcee herself. That would not have happened 50 or 60 years before. So it does show you, and this is one of the, the interesting things about covering the royal family, it's a reflection of the changing mores of society as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think, right, that the time difference here makes all the difference. So um, I didn't realize, though, and I thought this was really interesting toward the end of the book, that Princess Margaret was at first one of Diana's biggest supporters and then towards the end turned one of her harshest critics, um, especially after her death. It's like kind of the almost like rudeness that she exhibited at the funeral. And um, I think she was like talking, having a conversation with her sister that was totally unrelated about the Kensington Palace bathrooms or something. Mm. Why do you think that relationship changed so much? Well, initially, Princess Margaret, as you quite rightly say, embraced Diana into the family. She organised all the staff at Kensington Palace to wave Diana into the into her apartments at uh, with, with Prince Charles after she gave birth to William. She took her to the opera. She took her to the ballet, which she knew Diana loved. Um, she tried to show her the ropes because, as I mentioned earlier, it's very difficult learning the ropes because it's, it's very much you know you just watch by example and. As Diana said to me, I adore Margot. I love her to bits. And that changed when, and even after the, by the way, and even after the separation, uh, Margaret wrote to Prince Charles and said, look, I'm still going to see your estranged wife. I hope you don't mind, but that's what I'm doing. Oh, wow. So they maintained that friendship. But then she gave that panorama interview and, uh, and it had the same cataclysmic effect, impact, as the Meghan and Harry interview has done. Uh, it, it, it rocked the whole of the monarchy back on its heels because here was Diana saying that her husband, Prince Charles, was not fit to be king and talking about the fact that she wanted to be the queen of people's hearts. Well, as far as to Margaret, that was a betrayal, not just of, of her estranged husband, but of the monarchy, but especially of the queen. And... She just, she was, that was it. The shutters went down, you know, the, the, the gates were closed uh, and and she was just furious. She was also, by the way, furious with Fergie for, for a different matter, for having her toes sucked by a, a so-called <laughs> financial advisor by the side of a swimming pool whilst her two uh, princess daughters played in the pool. Um, well, that's another story. <laughs> um, so, and after that, Princess Margaret refused to, speak to Diana she wrote a coruscating letter to her saying that, that you know you've never tried at all you, and she told her children David and Sarah to, to not to have anything to do with Diana and when Diana brought a present around she had to give it to David Griffin a friend of mine who was a, a chauffeur uh, to, to pass on so it was a very unhappy ending and when Diana died Margaret just turned her back on her. She just felt she was a private person. She she played it by the book. She was a private person. She was a Spencer. The Spencer's family themselves are talking about a private funeral at Oldthorpe. And there the matter, as far as she was concerned, should have rested. And and 
all the weeping and wailing in London of people sobbing for a woman that they'd never met, never knew, but felt deeper for than their own children. Um, she just couldn't understand it. And, and quite frankly, neither could the Queen and Prince Philip when they came back to London earlier so that the Queen can make her uh, broadcast. And, and I remember I was commentating on the funeral for ABC and I was, I was sat next to Peter Jennings and Barbara Walters was at the end of our little gantry. And I said to Peter Jennings, watch Princess Margaret as the, as the funeral cortege went by Buckingham Palace. And sure enough, the Queen bowed her head, the rest of the royal family bowed their heads, but the one person who remained ramrod straight and barely acknowledged the passing of Diana's coffin was Princess Margaret. So even in death, she would not forgive her. Wow. And then after that, she burnt all of Diana's letters to the Queen Mother. And even the Queen Mother's official biographer and uh, William Shawcross was criticised that move in, in a, obviously in a very polite manner because <laughs> he was yeah. the official biographer. But it, um, it shows you how deep that, that was. And, and during her, the, the, the latter part of her life, after she ended a, a rather scandalous relationship with Roddy Llewellyn, a toy boy, 17 years her junior, <laughs> she dedicated her life to the Queen and to the monarchy. And it's interesting, you, you've probably never even seen them or even heard of them, but the Queen gave her a Royal Victorian chain, which is the highest honour you can possibly give anyone. And so Margaret was given that by the Queen um, for dedicating her life to her service. Wow. And there's only only 10 of them, and most of them, are, are, are those chains are in the uh, purview of um, other heads of state, other kings and queens. In wow. I thought it was interesting, the perspective just that, in, that you shared in the book, that it was, you know, Margaret was really upset that when everything broke down with her and Lord Snowden, that a lot of the blame was cast on her. And then with Diana, she kind of did the same thing. And we see that play out with Harry and Meghan as well. So much of the blame gets cast on Meghan. Why do you think that Margaret kind of did the same thing or that kind of continues to play out that way? Well, that's a very good point. I mean, it's invariably the woman who is criticised for anything that goes wrong because it's it's always the woman who's seen to rule the roost domestically by the public. I mean, there, there is a, a nascent sexism in the coverage of the royal family. And I think that with, with Margaret, you could see that um, when her relationship with Tony Armstrong Jones or Lord Snowden, as he became, uh, was deteriorating, the Queen Mother and the Queen, they'd seen Margaret in a close-up of personal as, as a child, um, being naughty, being disobedient, um, hiding, um, bringing the guard out for no reason, you know, going missing, being arrogant, being just being a, a bit of a pain, being a prima donna, um, being a cabaret singer till the early hours. They've seen all that with with Margaret, and 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 on the other side, there was Tony Snowden, impeccably mannered, always concerned about the well-being of the Queen, um, creative, someone who had uh, created the investiture for Prince Charles. Uh, which had gone off brilliantly, much to the Queen's pleasure. And so the, the support that Margaret got was wilting away. And she she felt, you know, that she'd been 
uh, not being supported as much by uh, her sister and mother as she should have been. But that was because they did adore Tony Snowden. And this was going to be the first divorce since Henry VIII and Anne of Cleves back in, what, 1540. So it was a big, big deal in the 1970s. And what made it worse was, was that in the days before toy boys and cougars became, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of... Uh, uh, well-known phrases. Uh, she took up with a, a jobless young man um, who was 17 years her junior, a chap called Ronnie Llewellyn, who's become a very well-known gardener. But at the time, it was seen that that Margaret was really um, over-egging the pudding, that she was, you know, she was this cougar who'd gone off with a toy boy at the taxpayer's expense to the Caribbean, where it was nice and warm, and in Britain it was freezing. So it was, you know, there's a, there's a, a, an awful lot of criticism came her way, and the, the Queen and and the Queen Mother all both felt that that this relationship uh, was not helping to mend the wounds that between uh, Tony Snowden and um, and Princess Margaret. It's really a family, isn't it? This is a family. Yeah, it's a family fascinating. At, at war and family at peace. And it, it's it's striking that these um, things have such a, a resonance down the, down the decades. Yeah, they absolutely do. I know. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting that it's like a lot of it just gets put on the wife or the, the woman, woman yeah. in, this, in these well, dynamics. Exactly. I, I mentioned earlier. Diana yeah. was blamed for everything that was had changed inside the, uh, the the royal family. The fact that, that various people had left their employ, it was all Diana's fault. Same with Meghan, all, yeah. all her fault. I mean, and I defended her on that because yeah. Yeah, because it's just it isn't because it's absolute nonsense to think that somebody who doesn't know the royal the ropes at all is responsible for all this. Diana didn't know the royal ropes. She was actually trying to keep her head above water. And I, and I think you could find find the same with Megan that she was struggling to survive thinking, you know, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hit the ground running. Well, she had hit the ground, but she wasn't running. She was going flat on her face. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Roddy though because I feel like in the book, so many scandals, and whether it's family-related or not, this feels like the Queen has lived through every PR catastrophe imaginable, <laughs> basically. So I want to ask you, do you think the latest crisis, which is the Sussexes' departure and now their revelations through the Oprah interview, how they feel like they were unfairly treated by the palace, do you think that that's a major turning point for the monarchy, or is this just another bump in the road for the queen who's you know 75 year legacy we're living well I don't, it's, it's it's all a combination of all of it i mean I, i've never heard of a prince of the realm directly attacking the institution from which he's sprung and so this is big it's not it isn't just you know tabloid exaggeration about the queen's fury and so on um i think this is something which the royal family themselves have been rocked back on their heels about because you just don't expect that from one of your own. You, you, and, and so, yes, it is a, a, a considerable blow. But in terms of the way the, royal, the, 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 the axis of, of change inside the royal family, the royal family was moving and what is, is still moving into a more slimmed down version. Prince Charles wants a slimmed down monarchy. He, he was perfectly... Uh, happy to accept Prince Andrew stepping back after the whole Jeffrey Epstein 
business. And at the, at the end of the day, Harry and Meghan were ancillary branches of the royal family. They were not central branches of the royal family. So they were going on the same trajectory as Princess Margaret. Princess Margaret, when she felt, you know, when she was 18, 19, she was the most glamorous woman. She was matched with Elizabeth Taylor, uh, you know, all furs and jewels and looking fabulous, but she was number two. Same with Meghan and Harry, number two. Meghan can look as pretty as all hell, uh, but she's still the one who will have to curtsy to Kate Middleton. And, and I'm sure that the, they didn't properly appreciate that. But it does mean that as the years tick by, Meghan and Harry will become more and more irrelevant as George, Louis and Charlotte grow, develop and become the, the chew toys of the tabloids. Gosh. And there's no changing that structure, right? Like there's never, there was never a world where you would amplify like the Fab Four and make them on the same, you know, you you know, put to the, to the workings, like the actual charisma that Harry and Meghan brought to the table, like when they went on that Australia tour, there's no sort of world where that would happen. We just so value your perspective because you've lived through so much of these, these well, things I'm, I'm, over I'm the years. Well, I'm quite sure, as I, as I said at, at the start of our conversation, they were given the best gig in the world, I think. They were told, go first class around the world, go to the Caribbean when it's cold in Britain, go to New Zealand when it's raining, you know, go out and and you don't have to cross paths with William and Kate. They'll be the domestic um, king and queen, as it were. And you can just, you know, uh, do your own thing. And and, and I'm just, I, I was, that's my total surprise that they couldn't hack it, even after that they didn't give it a, a year, really, before they started looking for an exit strategy. So I don't really feel that they gave it the the best they could have done. And maybe they were thinking about that even before um, they married. Yeah. I mean, I think, too, like her age plays into it a lot, that she had her entire career before her and joined at the age of 36. So I think, you know, knowing what it was like to earn an income and being an actress on suits and all that, I think that that was especially hard for her. And also that the palace, I think a lot of it falls to the palace too, from what they said, which is that they, if they had just, you know, denied one of the stories that they had asked them and, you know, they were speaking up for other members of the Royal family. Why couldn't they have issued a statement? You know, Megan's, recent email was revealed that said, you know, if if they're going to deny this, can they deny that I made Kate cry? Like, why can't they just say that? So I think that that, I mean, that might've been a big part of well, the Well, I, I, I wrote a piece about that at the time, but must be a year ago now, eight months, saying that it's almost imagining the scene where Megan says, well, you know, why can't you deny this? Why can't you deny that? And the press office of wearily explaining as they've explained to royal journalists down the decades if we deny this story we'll have to deny every story so the, the, our policy is not to deny or confirm anything it's no comment and that is a very tough pill to swallow yeah. somebody like megan who's used to the you know, get us get our pr people on it you really do have to stay above the fray now the recent policy in the house of windsor especially amongst William and Harry, has been to use the courts vigorously. And I think the big difference, quite frankly, between uh, Diana's experience inside the royal family and Meghan's is that the, 
Diana was hounded every single place you went. She was going for lunch, there'd be photographers. Going to the gym, there were photographers. I've done some asking around on this, and I can't find any pictures. There might be the odd one here and there of, of Megan being hounded by the press. And so I'm still intrigued to find out, you know, what they were essentially complaining about. Because as I, as I mentioned, friends of mine have seen her, you know, just shopping um, out, for, out for dinner with friends without any kind of constraints. So that strikes me as a, a significant difference. That it may well be that she could say, well, well, you're forgetting that I was photographed in Covent Garden here, or Notting Hill there by paparazzi, and I felt vulnerable. Um, but I'm, but I've not seen any, you know, any of these pictures that you can almost visualise them now. The pictures of Diana, you know, trying to shield her face with a tennis racket, trying to hiding on the on the on the floor of a taxi, being chased down the street. Uh, I saw none of that with Megan. And thank goodness. I feel like that's not the standard we want to <laughs> hold the coverage for. And, and quite frankly, you saw it with Catherine Middleton. I mean, I remember on one occasion, on her 25th birthday, a female paparazzi had the lens literally in her face, how she could possibly get a, a picture. I mean, it was almost a camera as a weapon of assault. So, and so there used to be a thing where during a royal courtship, the royal bride to be would be basically left on her own and the and see how they cope with the paparazzi and if they didn't they they were out because that's was the matter of fact of life but i i really feel that over the last two or three years paparazzi pictures of harry william uh, and megan and catherine have been very few and far between because the two princes have used the law of privacy against European and also against British uh, and American um, outf outfits. In fact, just the other day, um, a paparazzi outfit called Splash went bust because of the the, the, the lawsuits. The, yeah, because of the mm -hmm. lawsuits. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting just to like, but it, I do feel like the it wasn't just the paparazzi photos; it was the racist attacks that were going on. I felt like that sort of was amplified a lot in terms of what they were kind of looking for a statement on. But I do think it's, you know. Well, that, that, I mean, in fairness to, to the people at, at Kensington Palace, that they did start a unit to to uh, stop the trolls on, on social yeah, media. Yeah, because social media plays such from, an from added role. Kate, yeah. Not just not just Megan, by the way, from Kate as well. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it is a wild west out there. There's no it is, yeah. Well, utterly vile. And, oh. and they just take sides. And I... How people can get so worked up about people they just don't know is beyond me. It's but. so hard. I mean, I feel like the internet is, you're right. It's such a wild west. It's hard to, it's just there. And it's good that, you know, to there needs to be more policy. And, and, and as for the racism side of things, I know people will disagree, but I think that there's, that there's a basic sexism in coverage mm -hmm. of the royal family. Absolutely. And it's been there from the word go. Men are judged by what they say. Women mm -hmm. are judged by what they wear. And we saw that to the nth degree with, with Kate and Meghan, where yeah. there are whole websites devoted to Kate's wearing such and such a dress. This is, you can get it for less at this. And 
and, and they were profitable sites. Uh, and, and so Megan and Kate were defined by their clothes, not so much by what they said, even though what they had to say was very interesting. And especially Megan, who's uh, an activist, um, she had a coherent worldview about feminism, about various aspects of that going forwards. Yeah, totally. Well, before we go, we, we've taken so much of your time. We had to ask, you know, we had Tom Jennings on the podcast last week, and he mentioned that the two of you were talking about what to do with the unused audio from the tapes you recorded with Diana. And so we're curious, do you have any updates on that? Anything that you can share about what's next for you? Well, I mean, I've been helping them with the with the crown. Oh, that's so interesting. That's great. Series five. Um, I mean, I've got a number of royal books in in mind, and as for the the Diana tapes, uh, somebody said, "Why don't you just do a podcast with the Diana tapes? People might listen to that." Well, we'll see. I mean, I haven't oh. as I can as I can barely switch on a plug. I, <laughs> I, 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 no, I think you'd be think, great. It's hard I think to... Trying to do a podcast might be beyond my pay grade. You're being modest. You were yeah. all, you were ready to go yeah. at the beginning of this. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. I am so excited. So you are consulting for the crown. Yeah, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it because they, they, you're dealing with extremely intelligent, creative people who ask the most abstruse questions, like, "Can you remember the wallpaper in your daughter's bedroom?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So oh I'm, I'm just waiting to see who's going to play me. I'm now. I, I wear glasses. I'm six foot four. I often joke, well, maybe. Do you have any Danny hopes? Yeah, who do you hope would play you? <laughs> well, we approached Daniel Craig, but he said he was too busy. He was he was combing his hair. <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> Spot on. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it's going to be it's going to be an unknown wearing a pair of glasses, and that will be it. No, I think that um, the new Diana is the girl from The Night Manager, whose name escapes yeah. which is, I think, she's South African and she's six foot two. Yeah, we're she excited. I mean, season like, four was incredible. She, Yeah, Debicki, I think, is her yes, name. And right. she's, yes. oh, so excited to see her in, in yeah. that role. I can't wait. Well, I think just we ask every person that comes on the podcast, if you could identify with any royal, living or dead, who would it be and why? Well, Henry VII, uh, because oh. he united the kingdom and he did it very cleverly very skillfully. And I would say that if Joe Biden wants to be a successful president, he should emulate Henry VII's perambulations around the, the nation. Such a diplomatic answer. I yeah, I it. like that. Yeah, no, that's great. No one said that one before, actually. Yeah, no, <laughs> no one has said that one. Uh, but Andrew, thank you so much for joining us and having this conversation. It really means a lot to us. And like we said, his book is out now, Elizabeth and Margaret and the Intimate World of the Windsor Sisters. And should we keep up with you anywhere on social media, any, any place that people can follow on Twitter? Andrew Morton Books is on Instagram. And I've got a Twitter account, uh, Andrew Morton UK. And... I think that's it. No, I've got a Facebook account as well, Andrew Moore. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming My on. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you both. So, so fascinating to hear Andrew's perspective. And Roro's so exciting. We are doing a big Instagram giveaway for his new book. You can win Elizabeth and Margaret from Instagram. Go to our Royally Obsessed Instagram page. The giveaway runs until next Wednesday. April 7th and starts today. So, it's so good, you guys. Definitely. Good luck yeah. on winning the book. All right, before we adjourn the royal pod, here are highs and lows. 
It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low this week, Megan's dad asking Oprah to interview him. This is just like the story that never ends. I hate to even talk about it. Thomas Markle staged pictures in the sun of him handing the letter to Oprah's security guard outside of her house. So there are pictures in the sun. He's looking right at the camera. He's handing a letter to Oprah's security guard. He's asking, I guess he's at, this is what the sun said, is that the letter supposedly asks Oprah to grant him an interview for his side of the story. And I just, I just wish he would stop. Like, yeah, I almost thought that was like not, I, when I saw the pictures, I couldn't believe it. Another thing, Milo, where my mouth just dropped is the updates on the inquiry into Martin Bashir over his Diana Panorama interview. There's new reports that show that say that there's proof that Diana was shown a faked abortion receipt in addition to the faked bank statements in a way to persuade her to participate in that interview. The faked abortion receipt was supposedly confirming a relationship between Tiggy Legberg, the boy's nanny, and Charles. I don't know if this is true, but there is an ongoing inquiry that is continuing that was commissioned by the BBC, and supposedly this is part of the evidence. And the other revelation that came out is that Diana actually pulled out of the interview and didn't want to do it, but additional lies from Bashir drew her back in. So I don't really know what to believe, but there's and there's a report coming soon from Supreme Court Judge Lord Dyson. So he's going to be sharing his findings based on this new evidence. It's just really uh, just awful. So shady. It just like gives me like, ugh. Um, All right. My high this week, Megan baked a cake for charity. She made an olive oil lemon cake. It was beautiful. It had like a little green sprig of something on the top and then powdered sugar. Did you see it? No, I didn't see the picture. Oh, it was really pretty. I'll send it to you. Um, But she used lemons and eggs from their Montecito property, the Chick Inn. I want lemon (laughs) trees on my property. I know. Um, The cake was for World Central Kitchen Chicago, and they also received a special luncheon from Archwell to honor their efforts to pack up and distribute, I think it was over 500,000 meals during the pandemic, which is incredible. So they were honoring the volunteers. So she somehow shipped the cake from California to Chicago, which I, all I can picture is like some poor personal assistant, like getting on like an airplane with this cake and being like, this is the most important thing I'll ever have to do and getting it to Chicago somehow from LA or wherever. So I don't, I don't know. know I know. This. I mean, dry Unless ice. Like some, I yeah, FedEx I was going to say like dry ice. I feel like we've gotten stranger deliveries at work that have been That's shipped, true. but I don't That's know. True. You're totally right. It's also a pandemic. I do like the um, the metaphors that everyone's talking about turning lemons into cake, lemons into lemonade. So I thought that was really A lemon really theme, yeah, for Megan yeah. with that dress. And I need to bake this for Easter now because oh, I'm inspired. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Well, my high, which we mentioned at the beginning, is Kate's Hold Still book. I was so royally obsessed, but generally obsessed with that whole campaign that she did with the National Portrait Gallery. The book is available for pre-order on the National Portrait Gallery website. It's 25 pounds, and it features the 100 award winners that were selected from those user-submitted photos, for lack of a better word. But there was a photo of Kate that was taken by Matt Porteous, and she it was... It, she also captioned it that was shared to the Kensington Royal Instagram account. And I loved this also unveiling on the Kensington Royal. It was like her first unboxing video where Kate is like opening her. It, I mean, I, it was Kate because you see her yeah. her sapphire engagement ring. And I love that it was sort of tipped to the side. So it wasn't super like splashy, but she it was like her, her unboxing yeah. her book. And then her brother James commenting with a heart emoji to support his sister. I just I loved everything about it. And I definitely will be ordering this book. I just think it's 
a caps a time capsule. I'm proud of her for her work on it. So it was a definite. Well, Mother's high. Day is coming up. That yeah, that would be a good gift for myself. <laughs> <laughs> or gift myself. But what is? Do you know the final prices uh, after shipping to the U.S.? I mean, in UK, it would be 40 pounds. So what is that in UK? Isn't that like $48? Yeah, it's like- That's an expensive coffee table book, but so worth it. I feel like this is incredible. And we called it. We called it. Just got to give ourselves fat in the back. (laughs) Yes. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. Here is a review- titled Fun Listen. Happy to have stumbled upon this podcast. I appreciate the balanced commentary from an American perspective. The dialogue doesn't have a tilt that feels like it's coming from a place of UK media sycophancy. With everything going on, I applaud them for managing to weave measured consideration of heavy subject matter with compassionate and friendly humor and an international context. Not easy. Looking forward to more episodes. Well done, ladies. Thank you so, so much. It's not easy. No. (laughs) I'm adding that. (laughs) Thank you. But a week off helps. Uh, (laughs) um, Please leave us a review if you have time. Remember to subscribe and also follow us on Instagram. You do not want to miss the book giveaway. You want to win this book. It was a delightful read. So, so good. Drop us an email and info at gallerypodcast.com. Until next week. God God save save the the pod. pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a Gallery Podcast production.